what if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Looking down the aisle of seeds, ticket in my hand, 16D. Oh, excusez-moi. Uh, pouvez-vous déplacer votre sac? Your, your bag. It's on my seat. Thank you. Welcome aboard train 62 from Toronto to Montreal. I love the train. I love how you can just spread out in your space. And I love how it takes you from the heart of one downtown to another. It is dignified in a way driving yourself down the highway strapped to your seat will never be. Now, of course, in Canada, a love of traveling by train can only take you so far. Take this train. It goes from where I live in Montreal to Toronto. So between Canada's two biggest cities. And I'm lucky. I live in what's called the Quebec City-Windsor Corridor, which is the best place to be if you want to travel by train in Canada. But many large cities have very few or even no passenger trains. And we just live with it. But here's the thing. With climate change, trains, especially once electrified, could have an important role in creating a low-emission alternative to the plane and the car. And that's already happening in Europe. What's wild is that Canada was created in part because of a railroad, linking the country from coast to coast to coast. But you'd never know that if you looked at the train today. So what happened to Canada's transcontinental rail network? And is there any way we can get this back? I'm Craig Dessen, and this is Storylines. This week, we're talking about the rise and fall of passenger rail in Canada. And if we might be at the beginning of a new chapter for train travel. Because if we're serious about fighting climate change, getting people out of cars and planes into a fast, affordable and plentiful train service would really help. So, get comfortable. Oh, and the food cart should be here very soon. So, best to start thinking about your order. Especially now, you know, I mean... Cars are used less and less. That's Kai Tanderlich, a journalist in Germany I met while on a fellowship there a couple of years ago. When I was there, I was struck by how different their train service is from ours and by who was using it. People can take the train to almost every city and small town, and the train stations, for the most part, are completely integrated into the public transportation system. You can go from one town to another and then straight to your front door. Many young people don't even have a car anymore, you know, because they just rely on uh, public transport and um, they just enjoy using trains, especially now also with the energy crisis, with the climate change, going back and forth between Berlin and Hamburg, for instance, is quite common. 
So you wouldn't you wouldn't fly like you wouldn't fly to end to Hamburg ever. No way, no way. Me on the other hand, I would certainly dream of flying to Toronto. In fact, I do it all the time because sometimes it's cheaper than the train. That's kind of the way it is in Canada. That high carbon burning transportation like the car and the airplane is just how we get around. We just don't have the infrastructure for a serious rail system, and we never did. At least that's what I thought. Until I got COVID. <coughs> Which led to a solid week of lying in bed and scrolling through social media. Which is when I came across an old train map of Quebec and Ontario from 1948. Covered from east to west in thick black lines, decorated with tiny white circles indicating train routes. It looked like a subway map of Manhattan, except it covered two provinces, and it showed their passenger train service. And you could go everywhere by train. The Muskokas, the Laurentians, even Prince Edward Island, thanks to a train ferry. They actually put the train on a boat. If these routes existed today, and we switched them from diesel power to electricity, we would have an alternative to driving and flying that requires way less energy and could even be carbon neutral. I was now obsessed with finding out what happened. So to figure this out, I started with somebody who was there. When I was a child and a teenager, train travel was routine for nearly everybody that could afford to travel. This is Harry Gow. He is a transport advocate at Transport Action Canada, which is an advocacy group for public transportation. He is also, and I think you'll forgive me for saying this, old enough to have ridden the rails near the end of the golden age of Canadian passenger trains as a child in the late 1930s. I went to some places that you couldn't go by train now. I went, for instance, to Newfoundland. Uh, and rode a train partway across the island. I went right across Prince Edward Island by train, having gotten there from New Brunswick in a train ferry. And listening to Harry, I find out that not only could you go anywhere by train, it was also glamorous. If you were in a sleeping car, the uh, decor was uh, mostly in dark, precious woods, well-varnished, kept clean by the porter. If one wanted to do a bit of reading or write a letter, one could go to the observation car, and there would always be important businessmen smoking stogies in the back of the business car watching the track as we went down the line. You go back 100 years, there was electric railroads, and they were running commuter lines between Hamilton and Toronto and all these kind of other sort of small towns or, or even suburbs. And there was a real push to electrify that infrastructure. That's Ryan Katz-Rosen. He's a University of Ottawa professor who has studied rail infrastructure and climate change. And if we had just gone more in that direction, we would be living in an alternate universe where we feasibly could have like decarbonized. The beginning of the end started in the 1920s. when train ridership began a downward spiral. In 1920, rail passengers in Canada took the train 51 million times. 
and the population of Canada then was less than 9 million people. By 1925, the number of trips had dropped to 41 million. One reason, people discovered the pleasures of a road trip for the first time and fell in love with the automobile. Here's an article from The Globe in 1920 about just this. The public has deserted the railroads for the roads. It is an expression of the rediscovery of the charm of road travel. There are towns 50, 80, and 100 miles away, whence excellent motor cars now ply daily to the metropolis during the summer months. They give time for lunch in town, a little shopping, or a visit to a matinee, and they return soon enough for late dinner, and the average charge rarely exceeds the present first-class railway fares. The arrival of the car was like the advent of the internet. It was revolutionary, and the old ways were cast aside. Anthony Pearl is a professor at SFU who sat on the Via Rail board from 2008 to 2012. The car culture all seemed very positive and progressive. And then you had this technology that seemed obsolete from the 19th century, sort of like the uh, stagecoach or the uh, voyageurs' canoes. They really were of a different time, and you wouldn't expect to keep them running in parallel with the uh, highways and the uh, airports. Sticking with our internet analogy, the train was a lot like cable TV. You had a handful of companies playing gatekeeper. They decided when and where everyone got to go. The car was freedom from the train schedule. You could just hop in and go wherever you wanted, cruising down the highway with the windows open and the stereo blasting. People loved driving. And so did businesses. Trucks meant competition for freight trains. And so did politicians. They loved the way cars created new jobs in automotive plants. By 1956, it was estimated that 29,000 Canadians worked in the automotive industry. But it goes deeper than that. The car roared into our world and installed itself at the heart of our culture in North America. Harry again. You opened up the uh, Saturday Evening Post and there was an ad for a shiny red Buick. My God, you know, everyone in America and Canada would like to have a shiny red Buick. So we had consensus. It was time to cancel the passenger train. But first, we had to build highways and roads. Lots of them. And they're not cheap. The Canadian government invested billions of dollars into road infrastructure. According to the Canadian Encyclopedia, in 1966, the Canadian taxpayer spent $4.5 billion on roads in a single year. Adjusted for inflation, that is $39.3 billion today. And it's a similar story for the airplane. The federal government saw the obvious potential for airplanes in a country as large as Canada and began to invest in building a state-of-the-art airport network. By the 1960s, Canada had world-class highways and air travel. So where did that leave the train? Passenger train service in Canada is doomed. The system is being phased out in the interests of air transit. The government was giving subsidies to rail companies to keep their money-losing passenger routes going. The railway unions have charged that Canadian Pacific is deliberately downgrading its passenger service 
so that it can collect more money and subsidies from the Canadian taxpayer. Passenger levels kept falling into the 1970s. The train companies wanted out of passenger rail. But it wasn't all doom and gloom. Here's Ryan Katz-Rosen from the University of Ottawa. We have this really strange experience in Canada where we were one of the first countries to actually have a high-speed train, but we never had a high-speed rail system. We never were able to use it at its full capacity. It ran in Canada from the 1960s into the early 80s. It took three hours and 59 minutes to go from Toronto to Montreal. That's more than an hour faster than it takes today on VIA. And it was running 50 years ago. The Canadian National Railway claimed their new turbo train is the greatest railway advance of the century. An all-electric air conditioning and heating system, special soundproofing, comfortable reclining seats, and a meal service that's more like a plane than a train. In fact, the turbo train is powered by aircraft-type gas turbine engines, capable of driving it at 120 miles per hour. Montreal to Toronto... But it had trouble reaching its top speed because it shared tracks with freight trains, and it had to slow down at railway crossings. It was also plagued with technical problems. So the train was phased out. We need to take a quick break. Storylines will be right back. Hi, I'm Caitlin Prest, and I am here in your ear to tell you about a very incredible new show called Asking For It. Asking For It is a darkly comedic series that follows a queer femme singer whose history of violence finds her no matter how many times she runs away. It has an original soundtrack, and it'll make you laugh, cry, and feel a little bit less alone. Asking for it. Subscribe now. The once familiar call all aboard has been disappearing with the decline of rail travel. On Monday, Otto Lang, the Minister of Transport, announced a new plan for passenger train service called Via Rail Canada. The plan calls for gradual consolidation. In 1977, the government created Via Rail, a crown corporation that would deliver passenger rail in Canada. But from the very beginning, it faced problems, many of the same ones it still faces today. Its biggest by far is that VIA does not own most of the tracks it runs on. According to VIA, their trains are often late because they are using the same tracks as freight trains who have the right-of-way over passenger trains. VIA says this impacts their on-time performance and limits how many trains they can run in a day. And VIA's on-time performance was only 72% in 2021. And operating this way is also costly to VIA. Here's Anthony Pearl again. He used to sit on the VIA board. Let's just say that it's a monopoly pricing situation. Via Rail pays for the use of the tracks that CN owns. CN will correctly point out that they make money running freight trains over those tracks. And they charge Via a lot of money for the opportunity cost of not being able to run as much freight on their tracks because those passenger trains take up the time and the space. Here again is Ryan Katz-Rosen a professor of political studies at the University of Ottawa. There's a long history of VIA being at the whims of the government of the day, right? It's a crown corporation, so it's funded by the federal government. And 
the federal government, you know, has sometimes been very supportive of of passenger rail, and then another government shows up and the whole plan gets kiboshed. Via also faced headwinds from its main competitors. Here's what As It Happens uncovered in 1979. Somebody in the Federal Ministry of Transport doesn't like passenger trains. In two documents prepared for the new Minister of Transport, officials recommend that train fares be kept higher than bus fares to appease the bus industry. Austerity dealt the final blow. From the early 80s through the mid-90s, both liberal and conservative governments repeatedly slashed VIA's budget as part of the government-wide effort to bring down the ballooning federal deficit. The impact on rail service was impossible to miss. First, a look at the Maritimes. This is VIA's route map now. By next January, service to such cities as Yarmouth, Sydney and Edmonston will be a thing of the past. In central Canada, Quebec keeps most of its... Meanwhile, Europe was building up its high-speed intercity rail network throughout the 80s and 90s. Shoshana Sachs is a Canadian research chair in sustainable infrastructure at the University of Toronto. In Europe, they had a different imagination, a different mythology about their future, and it was more related to rail. And for both places, these became self-fulfilling prophecies. We imagined a future based around cars. They imagined a future more based around trains. And we lived up to our mythologies in both instances. And now, you know, 50, 60, 70 years have gone by. We can see uh, who made the better choice. And spoiler alert, it wasn't us. By the turn of the century, some Canadian political leaders were having second thoughts about turning away from train travel. David Collinet was the federal transport minister from 1997 to 2003. He saw the potential for passenger rail in Canada. But he said it wasn't easy convincing his cabinet colleagues to put money back into VIA. There was an, an attitude is like, why should the government pay for that? Everybody has their hands out and says, OK, if you, you want to spend all that money on VIA, uh, well, what about us? And you've had an, a mindset within the bureaucracy who, to say, oh, well, you know, uh, people will drive and uh, people will fly. When he was the minister, he was able to get hundreds of millions of dollars invested into VIA. But it was to fix the basics, not building a serious competitor to the car or the airplane. So Canada's once extensive rail network was outdone by the car, the plane, and budget cuts. But now... We're in a climate crisis. Here's Anthony Pearl again. Electric cars with batteries can do that also, but there are huge limits on the cost and the efficiency of lugging around all those batteries. Whereas a train needs just a wire or a, another rail with the, the current flowing through it and can get over 80% efficiency, energy efficiency of directly from the, the source. Plus, if trains were electrified, they would have an energy advantage that no other mode of transportation has. Except for ships, which uh, can also be wind-powered, uh, rail is the mode of transportation that has shown itself to be the most energy-diverse and adaptive mode of mobility. A train started out using wood. They would literally cut down trees and throw them in the uh, boilers. Then they switched to coal. Then they switched to oil. And uh, now, at least the latest state-of-the-art trains are able to use uh, electricity, which can come from many renewable sources. And it looks like the government is listening. VIA is also getting the largest investment in a generation, including new locomotives that burn less diesel and can be electrified. Plus, VIA just got new modern train cars, but there's still no beverage or restaurant cars. 
There's also a plan for what it calls high-frequency rail. Via would have its own tracks between Quebec City and Toronto. A trip between Ottawa and Toronto could take 3 hours and 15 minutes, according to Via, instead of the 4 hours and 45 minutes it can take today. There's also a plan to electrify the majority of these tracks. The future of rail in Canada remains an open question. Nationally, we're seeing baby step improvements at best. And the chances of ever replicating that old 1948 map of Quebec and Ontario I found, with its overlapping spider webs of rail lines stretching out in every direction, that's unlikely. Rail service into rural Canada probably isn't improving much either. But there are signs of hope, especially in and around the country's largest cities where there's been a significant investment in light rail. It won't take you across the country, but it will get you in and out of the city. And out of your car. One of the brightest spots, c'est ici à Montréal. So we're in the epicenter of the REM project, corner of St. Catherine and McGill College, right next to two construction sites from our perspective. So one of retrofitting the 5.2... It's November 2022, and I'm with Harut Chetelien, an executive with the organization developing the REM, an enormous slight rail project under construction in Montreal that will run on electricity. The REM is one of the biggest infrastructure projects in the world. So it's 67 kilometers of new light rail, 26 stations, fully automated and that will service many, many communities, so around 11 cities, 8 boroughs of the city of Montreal, and that will ultimately carry about 170,000 passengers a day when it's fully operational. In only four years' time, we have already a fully functional segment of the project that's 16.6 kilometers long with five stations, and that will be operational next spring. 67 kilometers of rail lines, even light rail, is a lot for Canada, especially to have parts of it up and running so quickly. And the Quebec government has come up with a novel way to fund the construction. Harut works for a subsidiary of the Caste Depot et Placement du Québec. The province's public pension fund has jumped into the train game. So we call it public-public because the case is the funds of most Quebecers. So we have close to 6 million depositors who are the pensioners of Quebec. And basically what the CAS is doing is is building a system and every time a transit user takes that system, part of the revenues will go into financing uh, the retirees of Quebec. They're also reusing rail from the glory days of trains. The REM trains will travel under Mount Royal in a train tunnel built in 1918 by the Canadian Northern Railway. Harut is also a lifelong fan, like me, of rail. And he hopes that the REM could be part of its renaissance. The historical aspect of rail development fascinates me as individually. The, the shift from one technology, if I may, to the other was done because of speed. So steamships were kind of uh, set aside because rail was faster than steamships. And at one point... Highways came along and cars offered a faster service that was a more comfortable one because you're in your own car. And rail was basically gradually put aside. But what we're seeing right now is that rail has an enormous potential, not because of only the speed component, but because our societies have a common goal of reducing greenhouse gases.
So I recorded an interview about a year ago, and since then, the REM has now opened, and I thought we could end this story by going on a ride. And so we are right here now at uh, Gare Centrale, uh, Central Station in Montreal. For years, I've, I've come here to, to take the train to Toronto. But now I'm going to take a different train. I'm going to uh, take the REM all the way to the south shore of Montreal. So let's go. So we're now pulling out of the station and we're coming up out of the train station, out of the darkness, into the light, and we're on this elevated track making our way towards the St. Lawrence River and I've always loved these elevated tracks because you kind of feel like you're you're sort of flying through the city. And there is the skyline of Montreal. We've got the fall uh, colors of the leaves on Mount Royal. Now, now, okay, now we are right over the St. Lawrence River. It's amazing. This huge stretch of water and the sun is just uh, shimmering down on the river here. It's really gorgeous. And also, because there's no driver, you can, look, you can look forward. It's really beautiful. You can stand in front of the train and kind of get what would be the, the driver's perspective. It's like public transportation, but it, it's, it's also kind of, it feels like you're a bit of a VIP view. As great as the REM is, we have to be honest, it's not intercity train travel uh, between two major cities in Canada. However, just the fact that it was built and they were able to put down all this track in a pretty decent amount of time might mean we can be, go back to building more rail in Canada. I'll leave it at that. Thanks for riding with me. This past week, just after I recorded this, there was a serious service interruption during rush hour, with passengers saying it lasted as long as two hours. Philippe Patani, VP of Public Affairs at CDPQ Infra, told the CBC, we're still in a breaking-in period. This is a problem we encountered for the first time. Today's episode was reported and produced by me, Craig Dessen. It was story edited by John Chitman with help from Catherine Rolson at What on Earth. Storylines is produced by AC Rowe and is part of the CBC Audio Doc Unit. If you like this show and care about Canadian documentaries, if you like hearing in-depth storytelling about where you live, then I need you to right now lift up your phone, open your podcasting app, and give us five stars and a glowing review. And better still, tell a friend about us. I'm Craig Dessen. Thanks for listening.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.